Hi, this is Allison Sheridan of the No Silicast Podcast, hosted at podfeet.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever so slight Apple bias. Today is Sunday, September 22nd, 2019, and this is show number 750. Do you realize we've done three quarters of a thousand podcast episodes together of just the No Silicast? It's kind of cool. Well, this past week has been really lonely for me because my gym buddy and programming by stealth programming buddy, Dorothy, has been on a vacation. But guess where she went? She went to Ireland and she got to meet up with Bart. I can't believe it. She sent a photo of the two of them together that positively warms my heart. I often talk about how I never could have predicted how my life would change because I picked up a microphone in 2005. And this is a perfect example. Dorothy's life changed because I picked up a microphone in 2005, and Bart's life changed because of that. I mean, this is just crazy. Anyway, I put the the photo in the show notes so you guys can see what they look like together, and they both just look so happy, even though Dorothy had been up for about 22 hours. And anyway, the photo is the best thing ever. Well, in Chit Chat Across the Pond this week, Programming by Stealth is finally back from hiatus. I teased Bart that he took a summer vacation. In reality, summer is the hardest time for a sysadmin at a university because it's the only time the students are away and all system upgrades and maintenance must be performed. In any case, we dove back in with the best part of JavaScript promises, two newly added core JavaScript keywords, async and await. We also chatted a bit about Dorothy's amazing new version of the PBS Index, She's been applying all of our newly acquired programming skills from PBS to the PBS Index. She's now using mustache templates, bootstrap styling utilities, and even Ajax with JSON. The result is a beautiful thing to behold, giving us immediately uh, immediate results as you start to search and and more. It's pretty. It's just it's responsive. It's just gorgeous. It's so lovely that Bart has now made a permanent URL for the PBS Index. It's at bartb.ie slash PBS Index. Even if you're not following along with Programming by Stealth, go check it out to appreciate how beautiful it is. And tell Dorothy. Anyway, Bart says it's officially not a web page anymore. It is a web app. Hi, Castaways. This is Denise Deverell. Has complexity or cost kept you from jumping into the smart bulb market? If so, I have a cool solution for you. The Refu R-E-A-F-O-O, smart bulb requires no hub and runs on Wi-Fi. But before I talk about how much I love these bulbs, let me tell you why you might want to add smart bulbs to your life. You can turn them on remotely using an app on your phone. If you're away at night, having lights turning on as you approach the house is a great safety feature. These little tricks are easy to do using A-Lady or Google Home. You can program lighting schedules. If your kids are ignoring the lights off rule, you can turn them off at bedtime or program them to come on at a time you designate. I have mine turn on weekdays at sunrise or even earlier if I have to get up to catch a flight. These bulbs are LED, so they're the most energy efficient lighting you can buy and have the longest lifespan. Smart lights are fun. You can change colors and set scenes and even sync them to what you're watching on TV with a little appery. They are especially fun at Halloween when I like to program haunted house lighting and music. If any of this appeals to you, but you want a budget-friendly solution, these refu bulbs are great. What I love the most is no hub. Hubs are, are really kind of a challenge because they take up precious ports in your router. 
With my Hue lights, I have to install the bulb, run across the house to press the button on the hub, which is attached to the router. Not the end of the world, but inconvenient, and the hub sometimes loses track of the bulbs, causing some hilarious lighting mishaps. Refu works by installing an app on your phone called eFamily Cloud. They also have an Android app. If you're familiar with using the A-Lady or Google Smart Speakers, the app looks similar to what you used to set those up. You connect the app to your network, then choose the room where you're installing the bulb in the app. They have pre-configured a set of rooms, but I wanted to add Office, and that was a simple task. You just screw in the bulb where you want it, it starts blinking red, and you tap it in the app, and voila, you are online. Now the fun begins. You have a choice of 16 million colors, so you'll never be bored. You're ready for any possible holiday scenario that someone throws at you. I like to change the colors of mine throughout the day, ending the day with a warm orange glow that's the perfect nightlight. Compared to my far more expensive hue bulbs, the Rifu stand out with brighter, more vivid colors, and the lack of hub is a win. You know how precious those router ports are. They also remain cool to the touch, great if you have kids or pets. Rifu bulbs are available from Amazon starting at $13.99 US and come with a one-year warranty. I did try tech support, and they were fast and efficient. I was really impressed. They also have waterproof light strips and the kind of lights that you would use in your ceiling and can lights, the flood floods type. I hope you enjoy them, and I'd love to hear about your smart bulb stories. Well, I love this, Denise. Uh, first of all, I love the fact that these are really inexpensive. I love even better that uh, when I went and looked them up, I added a new link to the show notes that uh, Denise wrote, the script that she had, and it turns out they're actually $2 lower than what she said. They're actually only eleven ninety nine now, not uh, $13.99. I love the vision of you making this crazy haunted house. I think that's really, really cool. Thanks for the review, Denise. That's awesome. As much as I enjoy bleeding on the edge, I avoided this year's betas for all of the Apple operating systems. Instead, I've been waiting patiently like a good little nerd until Uncle Tim said I could have the real versions. When iOS 13 came out as a full-fledged release, I jumped on board day one. I had a little bit of fun with it for the first 24 hours, and then the next day I got my iPhone 11 Pro delivered, which of course forced iOS 13 on me. I was happy to have it, but I didn't actually have a choice. I entitled the article I'm talking about right now, iOS 13, Buggy McBeta Phase, because this released version of the operating system has the most weird little bugs in it of any operating system I can remember. I mean, it's possible there have been something worse, but I, this it's really, truly epic. Now, and the funny thing is, it's nothing catastrophic. It's just like there's one little gnat floating around in the code, just poking at random things, never breaking the same thing twice. It just jumps all around and says, I think I'll break this. I think I'll break that. I think I'll break that. You know what? Can anyone say lucky 13? Well, here are a few examples of roughly three days of using the released versions of uh, version of iOS 13. Now, I want you to note, these are the only, only the things that I can remember off the top of my head. So the first time I used FaceTime, the front-facing camera was super dark, but the back-facing camera was fine. I hung up on the call, brought it back up, hung up, brought it back, and it didn't get any better. I rebooted the phone, and the problem went away. 
Let's see. The next one is in Telegram. I started to chat with Bart and the screen above the keyboard was blank. It was just like a big empty space. I was typing, but there was no field where I could see what I was typing and no way to send what I was typing. I quit Telegram, went back in and it was fine. I flipped into the app switcher at one point and then the little cards that you flip through for the apps, they were all nice little rectangles like they're supposed to be except for mail, which was at a diagonal, as though it were halfway through flipping from landscape to portrait. I rebooted the phone, and the problem went away and never came back. You know, we've got this new swipe keyboard, and it's pretty slick. It leaves an animation on screen, briefly showing where your fingers have swiped. But one time, as I was typing, the animations would get stuck on screen, and there was this big pause, so it was just like an animation sitting there, but nothing I could... You know, I couldn't keep couldn't keep typing. It was really annoying, so I thought, okay, I'm just going to abandon the swipe keyboard, and I started doing regular typing, and even the normal keyboard kept pausing. I quit the app I was in, typed over on my Mac instead, and when I went back to the phone, the keyboard was back to being responsive and has never done it again. I guess it just needed a timeout. I have to tell you, continuity didn't work after the update, and that really got on my nerves. Continuity is the Apple feature that allows you to hand off stuff between the iOS and macOS. You can, for example, open a web page on the Mac that was on your phone or copy one device from one device and paste it into the other device. Or you can use your phone or your iPad to take a photo and automatically insert it into a document on your Mac. I had both my Mac and iPhone logged into iCloud like you're supposed to. Uh, Both devices had Bluetooth and Wi-Fi enabled. Settings on both devices had handoff enabled. And yet, none of these features worked. A reboot fixed it. Mostly. I tried to insert a photo into pages on my Mac using my iOS 13 iPhone as the camera, and I was able to get far enough in that I could take the picture, but then you have to click a button that says Use Photo, and it wouldn't let me select it. I wasn't able to tap on anything on that screen. I couldn't exit. I couldn't I couldn't click it. I couldn't do anything. No amount of tapping did anything at all. And then the camera app crashed. I repeated the process, and the camera worked perfectly the second time to insert a photo into pages on my Mac. So that's good, right? Apparently, at this point, the little gnat had moved around and uh, decided to bother something else. When I take a new photo with my phone, I can view it from the camera app. If I switch to the Photos app, though, I can see the thumbnail as the representation of the Recents album, but if I tap into Recents, that photo simply isn't there. It's over in the camera app, but it's not showing up in Photos except when you're looking at the thumbnail. It took, uh, one time it took about an hour and a half for it to show up. As you can see, I have run into no catastrophic bugs, but as I heard one of the Accidental Tech Podcast guys say, it's sort of like a lot of paper cuts. I'm glad they've moved the 13.1 release date up to the 24th of September. But you know what? If I were you, I'd wait a little bit to see whether it's truly settled in before jumping in. Everything I've heard is the 13.1 just has new bugs. Now, the only potentially catastrophic issue I've had came with full warning before I went forward. Evidently, they've rewritten reminders from the ground up. So this isn't a bug, by the way. This is just something I want you to know about. So they've rewritten reminders from the ground up, and when you launch it in iOS 13, it will ask you, do you want to update reminders? You don't have to update reminders. It says, do you want to update reminders? Then they tell you what will happen if you do update reminders. You will not be able to share reminders with anyone who hasn't upgraded. So let's say I upgraded reminders, but Steve didn't, and we had a shared list. We would not be able to see the list together. 
And you won't be able to use reminders at all on other devices that haven't been upgraded. Now think about it. Since macOS Catalina isn't coming out until October-ish, and iPadOS on September 24th, or was it 27th? Anyway, later, you can't upgrade reminders on those platforms right now. So if you upgrade reminders on your phone, all of your reminders on macOS and on your iPad will disappear. They'll be replaced by two new reminders. One that says, where are my reminders? And another one that says, the creator of this list has upgraded these reminders and gives you a link to an Apple support article explaining what happened to your reminders. Now, I got to say, there's a lot of really fun new stuff in iOS 13, and I'm having a complete blast with it, especially the Photos app. But it's more, much more like bleeding on a beta than I expect from an official Apple release. Now, if you like things to just work, then I'd hang back for a while if I were you and wait for people to say that it's safe to get in the water. From what I've heard, maybe not even iOS 13.1 will be ready for prime time. But you know, I'm going to install it on day one. Hi, this is Pat Dangler from Dangler Consulting, your friendly local to Los Angeles Apple Consultants Network member. I'm excited about picking up my new iPhone 11 Pro on Friday, and in anticipation of trying out some of the camera features on the new phone, I have the Joby Griptite One Micro Stand. There are two pieces that come in this particular kit configuration. You can buy them separately. There's a tripod and a phone mount. What makes this so intriguing is how tiny this combo is when folded up. The tripod's three legs swivel around to fold up next to each other, making it particularly compact. About the size of my index finger, and I have small hands. Both ends of the phone mount fold down flat as well, about as wide and long as two of my fingers. So one and a quarter inches wide and three and a quarter inches long and about a quarter inch thick. This setup is so tiny that both the tripod and the phone mount together fold down small enough to fit in that tiny coin pocket that no one ever uses in their jeans. The tripod is a fairly rigid ball joint with a small but useful range of motion. The phone mount only holds the phone in landscape, but its spring-loaded arms will hold any size phone with a case or not. Both the mount and the tripod use the standard quarter-inch mount, so you can use them with other devices. Now, I bought this mainly as an ultra-compact tripod to use with my Insta360 camera, not my phone. Now that night mode is here to offer a longer exposure time when the phone is on a tripod, I'm really excited to go out and take some nighttime shots on the new phone. You could also use this to hold your phone while watching movies on on the phone or a FaceTime call in landscape. Joby sells this combo for $34.95, but you can find it in other places. Well, thanks a lot for that, Pat. Um, uh, To the audience, Pat brought it over to our house last night, and it is, you know, she told us how small it was, but I really didn't figure out until I held it in my hand exactly how small that was. And Steve did test it in the coin pocket of his jeans, and it fit in with like maybe a quarter of an inch sticking out. I mean, this thing is small. It's really small. Now, she mentioned that it's $34.95 on Joby's website, and you can get it other places. Turns out on Amazon, it's only 30 bucks. Now, there's a white version that's only 20 and I actually purchased it. And then Pat pointed out that uh, the delivery date is, I don't know, like October or November. So like maybe one month, maybe two months away. It was uh, not really good. So, but there is uh, on on Amazon, like I said, there's one for 30 bucks. I think I might've found a, another version of the white one for 
um, what was it, like 25 bucks, and that's like eight to 10 days. So I think I'll go with that one because, I mean, that looks fun to have a white one, right? Anyway, I think this is a fabulous way to carry around a tiny little tripod and just have it with you uh, whenever you need it. Earlier this month, I told you about the awesome clipboard manager, Copy and Paste, and all of the reasons that I loved it. I also mentioned that I was working on a video tutorial about copy and paste for Screencast Online. I'm delighted to tell you that the video has gone live. You can watch a teaser version of the tutorial at a link in the show notes to screencastonline.com. And if you like what you see, you can start a free trial of Don's service to watch the rest of it. And when you do that, you can watch the entire current back catalog. Now, I highly recommend you don't do that, though, because you're really likely to want to subscribe to Screencast Online. If you do, go check it out. Anyway, I'm super proud of this tutorial because it is such a fabulous piece of software. And like I said, I was unable to find any bugs in copy and paste, and that's only happened once before. So anyway, go check it out over at ScreencastOnline.com. While Frank goes off and uh, has a kick pop during pledge break, I do want to suggest to you that you think about a couple of things here. You know how Denise told us about the Refu Wi-Fi smart bulbs and Pat told us about the Griptite One micro stand? When you go look at their blog posts on podfeet.com, you'll notice that there are links to these products. These links go to the products on Amazon and the Amazon links are Podfeet Amazon affiliate links. That means if Denise convinced you that you really need to make your house spooky at Halloween and you want an inexpensive way to do it, you can use the link she provided and a small percentage will go to help fund the podcast. Likewise, if you're an iPhone or GoPro or 360 camera fiend, maybe Pat's description of the Griptite One micro stand will compel you to buy one to slip into your coin pocket or throw in your purse. You could use the Amazon affiliate links again to help fund the show. If you're too lazy to look up the blog posts and click through, try using podfeet.com slash Amazon to find all of your electronic goodies. Okay, Frank, pledge breaks over. Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Security Bits with Bart Bouchots. How are you this lovely day, Bart? I am fine. I'm not sure I agree with the classification of lovely. <laughs> well, you're not working this week. It is lovely in that sense. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Unfortunately, I, our Indian summer has broken spectacularly with thunderstorms and it, it's been fairly bad today. Oh, well, a good time to just do a recording with your good pal, Alison Sheridan, then, right? Yes. Yes, let's do that. <laughs> Let's talk about doom and gloom on the internet. What's broken this week? Or this two um, weeks? We have three security mediums. One of them's good news, though, so I guess we have two bad news ones. Okay. Actually, no, one bad news, one medium news, and one good news. How's that? Okay. <laughs> let's, let's start bad. Get that out of the way. So, Simjacker has made the news. Um, it is a remotely exploitable vulnerability in the firmware that runs billions of SIM cards all around the world. Uh, the oh. vulnerability can be triggered by sending a malicious SMS message to the phone number served by the victim SIM card. And once the SIM card is infected, it can reach into the cell phone and exfiltrate sensitive data. And just the icing on the cake, the user will never even see the SMS message that infected their SIM because it's not a normal message. It's a special type of message designed to be used for network management. 
So it's basically a messaging packet for computers instead of for humans. So, joy, I'm I just not- got a resp- I just got a response from my bank. Uh, they offered to let me do a survey about about their app, and so I took oh. that opportunity to yell at them for using SMS for their um, two factor, and they wrote me back the head of customer service a very nice letter about how they use SMS as two factor authentication to to protect their users. And then you wrote them back about um, <laughs> uh, that American NIST. 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 One. <laughs> no, I just got the paper letter today. This is a, a physical paper letter, letter thanking for me for pointing this out and then explaining it right back to me what I had just said. So a form letter. Charming. Oh, I guess. Yeah. Um, now, so get the worst of the news out of the way first. So there's nothing we end users can do to protect ourselves. Or indeed, as far as I can tell from everything I've been able to read, there's no way for us even to tell if our SIM has been infected. Uh-huh. Um, and thinking about it, I don't think it's realistic to get firmware updates, should any ever be written, to every single SIM, every single SIM card on planet Earth. That That doesn't seem like it's going to be a, a runner. So my path. initial fear was, oh dear. But it's not entirely doom and gloom. Um, I guess the first thing is this is only being exploited by basically high-level, state-level actors, which is only reassuring to regular folk. <laughs> very, very, very unreassuring to, say, the Chancellor of Germany, who managed to get herself spied on by the US, or any human rights lawyer anywhere who ever goes up against any government that doesn't like human rights. Um, yeah, so that's not good. But anyway. It's not all doom and gloom, even though I thought it would be. So these hmm. special SMS messages that are how this attack is deployed, they should only ever be coming from your cell carrier to your cell phone. So if any of those messages enters your network from outside of your network, it is 100% guaranteed to be fraudulent. And in fact, your oh. cell phone carrier should know where you know, which of its machines are supposed to be sending these messages for the actual purpose of managing their network. So with a few carefully tuned firewalls, they should be able to nip this in the bud. Oh, that's good. I I don't remember if you... Yeah. But it means trusting our cell phone companies not to be inept. (laughs) Well, Bart, they've got a long-standing tradition of being very apt, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's a word that doesn't exist, and that's why they are indeed very apt. <laughs> so, uh, I'm not sure you said it out loud, but I see in the show notes that it's GSM-based cell phone networks? Yes, because is that's that, the only is place that SIM the big cards one? exist. Yes. Oh, okay. So, I always get SIM those card, mixed up. Yeah. So, at this stage, I don't even know if there's anyone left using CDMA. Like, okay, good, because I could never remember which one was which, so now I don't have to remember. Yeah, I think the whole world has settled on GSM, which is a global system for mobile communication. No idea what happened to C. Um, but yeah, so GSM, I think GSM is now ubiquitous. Um, and GSM uses a SIM card or a subscriber identity module to identify your phone onto the network. Look at you. I didn't know what that stood for. Never even thought to ask. No, oh, there you go. And I even at one so, stage knew what an IMEI number was, but now I forgot. <laughs> so uh it's bad news could be worse news because it could be everybody it's probably not everybody but it might be people we care about in our governments being safe 
or mm-hmm. people who are working towards our human rights who we probably care about. Yeah. And it's possible for them to fix it, but they we don't know whether they'll be smart enough to do that. Yeah, and there's no way for us to tell whether or not our carrier has done it. So we're kind of left going, well, let's hope the industry can take care of this. Actually, no, that's not true. Let's hope that the industry take care of it and that the White Hat security researchers are testing to make sure the carriers are following through. There you go. So that's that's the bad news out of the way. So now let's move to security medium number two. iOS 13, Bluetooth permissions and surreptitious location data gathering. This is a bad news, good news sort of story. I was going to say, this is the good news? It's the medium news. So... Apple have added a number of new privacy features to iOS 13, and at first glance, one of them seems a little bit odd. Um, but it turns out it's actually very sensible, uh, and I think it's going to have an immediate effect. So, starting with iOS 13, apps need your permission to make use of Bluetooth. And you're saying to myself, okay, what's that got to do with privacy? I don't think it's been very high on the public radar, but... Apps have been using slash abusing Bluetooth devices that are installed at known locations to track users. In other words, the app is scanning for Bluetooth. When it sees a Bluetooth that it knows where it is, then it knows where you are, even if you have GPS turned off, etc., etc., etc. So these are so-called beacons, and they are not malicious in and of themselves. There's nothing inherently malicious about beacons, just like there's nothing inherently malicious about location services. In fact, location services have really good uses, and so do beacons, because GPS, cell phone signals, Wi-Fi triangulation doesn't work accurately indoors. And there's plenty of indoor situations where you actually need very accurate location information. That's exactly what beacons were invented for. So if you can imagine yourself being in a large venue, maybe a massive big conference center or some sort of huge sports stadium, it would be really good to be able to open their app or an airport, actually, another great example. It would be really great to be able to open up their app and ask it to point you towards your gate or to point you to the nearest you know, little boy's room or little girl's room or to point you to the room where your next talk is at. And the only way that can work is with this kind of beacon technology. Another really common use for it is in places like museums, where it can know what exhibit you're at, and then their companion app can guide you through the museum. So, not inherently malicious. There have been some limited use, successful use, but it's been apparently a lot of effort to assist the blind at conferences with beacons. So they could be told, yeah, you know, the booth that you're looking for, you just got, you're standing in front of it right now. Oh, that would be very handy, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so again, lots apparently of a great effort, unfortunately. Uh-huh. Um, semi-legitimate uses then, it's also quite popular in retail. Um, sort of, I guess, <laughs> arguably the legitimate use is that you ask it, you know, you're in a giant big department store, you're asking, where in the sodding hell do I find men's boxer shorts? And it'll just guide you to the right place. That's potentially useful. Less potentially useful is the app popping up and saying, oh, five weeks ago, you bought these marshmallows. They're on special. Why don't you go over here? <laughs> Come on. We've all seen Minority Report. Yeah. And then probably the definitely the grayest end of the quote unquote legitimate use in retail would be using the beacons to figure out where you linger, thereby mm-hmm. helping them to better target you with their promotions. 
So Apple uses beacons, right? We I've been near an app or just yes. walking into an Apple store when it'll say, "Hey, did you know you can use the Apple Store app to buy stuff inside the the store and just walk out with it? You should do that right now." Yeah. So I do. Yeah, and that's only possible with beacons. Um, so that yeah. is again a legitimate use. And so the beacons will pair with an app. So basically, Apple's beacons will be listened for by Apple's apps. Um, and so when you walk into the Apple Store, the the Apple Store app is what will interact with those beacons. Right. Where things get very... Me- where this technology was taken quietly without fanfare was that apps that are not inherently about location, they're not apps matching a conference venue or apps matching a store or apps matching a stadium. Social media apps have started to use beacons. For the purpose of tracking people who say no when the social media app says, can I access your location? You say no, and the app goes, fine, I'll just get it through the back door then. Even though you said no. Yeah, because when you said no to, they interpret that as just no to the GPS. Yeah. And so (sighs) as of iOS 13, because this has been happening, basically this is why we can't have nice things. Because people have been abusing this functionality, now iOS will make you grant the app access to Bluetooth. So an app can ask for Bluetooth, but it will not be allowed to actually start using it until the user says OK. And so if you're using an app for a museum or something, then it's perfectly reasonable for that app to want Bluetooth like that. But if you install, say, Facebook's app and it suddenly starts whining for Bluetooth, well, I would suggest the answer is no, sod off. And you now have that power. So that's why this is a good news, bad news story. By the way, the only reason I knew about this at all was the fact that uh, Facebook, I saw an article saying that, yeah, Facebook is doing this. So I knew when I got iOS 13 on my iPhone to say, hey, you know what? I don't see any reason why you need Bluetooth. But it doesn't say we want to use this so we can track your location. Doesn't tell you that. No, that's, you see, it's not only for that, you see. So, yeah. What else would, what what else they'd be using it for? Well, uh, okay, the only reason Facebook are using it is to abuse your privacy. But I'm saying in the abstract, right, that that, that Bluetooth alert, that is an OS level alert. And so that would also stop an app that interacts with, say, a blood pressure monitor over Bluetooth. Or Overcast asked for it. And I'm thinking, okay, I want to use my Bluetooth headphones. So, yes. Exactly. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it is, it, it, there are apps that legitimately want to use your Bluetooth. So that's why it just says Bluetooth, yes or no. So I guess the, the, the little bit of intelligence here is that we have to say, well, hang on a second. You know, you, why are you asking me for Bluetooth? And if in doubt, turn it off. And then if something breaks, well, the next time I ask, you can say, okay, fine, then you can have it. But, yeah. You, you know, know, this is interesting to think about, though. This does mean that since I've told overcast that it can use my bluetooth uh for my headphones that means marco arment could start tracking my location with that if marco arment had beacons placed all over the place why would he have to have the beacons placed he would have to have a partnership with whoever owns the beacons because otherwise he would never get the matching messages oh well how is facebook getting him because facebook has partners with everyone on the sodding planet ah okay. you need to be big Right. Either you have your own physical locations, in which case it's easy Mm -hmm. because you own the location, you own the app, you pair them together, no problem. Or you need to be big enough that you have partnerships with people who own physical places. Okay. 
So, yeah, so I'm the, probably not afraid of Marco then. Not for that reason, anyway. <laughs> I don't know what other reason you might be, but I don't think that's the issue of trust. Um, okay. The other good news, silver lining aspect to this story is this is really starting to shake things out. In fact, this isn't the only um, privacy-related thing in iOS 13. The other thing is that iOS 13 will proactively tell you how often the apps you grant location services access to are actually using that access. And basically, they will let you see the map, on a map, basically, what you have shared with any specific app. Hmm. So Just you, every once in a while, pop it up and say, hey, did you know? If the app is using it. So basically, when an app asks for background access and you say yes, every now and then it will say, so by the way, just remember, you granted Facebook background access. Here's what it's been doing. Hmm. Okay. And this frightened the pants off of Facebook. So they preemptively wrote a blog post saying, please, 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 please turn on location services. Turn it on? Yeah, they want you to turn it on. And they're trying to convince you that it's better. And they try to write a paragraph explaining why it's better for you. And to say it falls flat on its face is, to me, the understatement of the year. There is not a single valid reason in there that I can see why anyone would actually want it on. But they really did try their hardest to make it seem like it's in your benefit, not theirs. Well, I, can, I guess I can see there, there are some things like, uh, you know, events going on near you sort of stuff that people seem to favor. I yeah, well, you don't, don't particular. You don't need accurate location data for that. All you need for that is city level. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I get your point. Um, and, you know, so the other thing actually that struck me in that Facebook blog post was joy that deserve an extra finger wagging. They actually say that even if you turn off location access and even if you decline Bluetooth, they are still going to determine your location based on your IP address. So you but have given city level. every signal of your desires and they are giving you the proverbial two fingers. Why do people tolerate this? Well, doesn't just about everybody use your IP address to figure out where you are? They don't have to use it. No, they, no, 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 they don't have to do that. There's no reason you have to geolocate based on IP. I didn't say don't have to. I'm saying doesn't, don't like most apps do that? I wouldn't think so. I mean, when I'm playing a game or whatever, I don't think they're tracking my location by following my IP address around. You know, I keep referring back to, there was somebody on Twit who, um, the, the woman that tried to turn off the big services, she tried to turn off Amazon, Google, Facebook, mm. Apple, I forget what the last one was. And she, one of the things she found was how many places were tracking her physical location. Uh, and, and it was an astonishing number of services and apps that were. so. Oh, yeah, pretty much everything free comes with that as the price because that makes their ads more valuable to sell. Uh, it was Apple was included in the list, though. Okay, but we know Apple does location services. It's something that you, they show you when they're using it with the little badge. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm not able to remember exactly what the, what it was, but it had to do with uh, oh, who's the thing that became Swarm? It used to do check-ins to uh, you know be the mayor of your gym and stuff like that. Um, Oh, I can't remember the name of the service. Somebody's yelling into their iPhones right now. Say, I remember, I know what you're talking about, but I'll be darned if I can remember Foursquare. the name. Foursquare. 
Foursquare. Ah, yes. And what what she found was that all of these companies were contributing data to them, including Apple. I mean, it wasn't. It was. It was a real weird story. I, I shouldn't keep trying to quote it because I'm doing a poor job of it. Let's be let's be incensed about this first, or happy about the fact that Apple's showing it to us. Well, Apple is showing it to us, and it's already having the effect that we, there is now a bright disinfectant light being shone on these practices. And people are now able to to have a more informed opinion because we now know that this is going on and you can't do it secretly anymore. So it puts pressure on apps to alter their ways. So that is you definitely know, I, a silver lining. I think it's a dim light because all it says is, hey, can I use Bluetooth? Hmm? Can I? Hmm? Hmm? Can right, I? But now everyone's it doesn't say I'm going to use Bluetooth to look at your location. It doesn't tell you that in the phone. Well, this has been going on for probably years, and for the first time ever, we're talking about it, so it's definitely had a yeah. positive effect. Yeah, I'm thinking in mainstream or normal people looking at their phone, they get this, now they get constant pop-ups saying, can I use Bluetooth? Huh? This app wants it, this app wants yeah. it, this app. Yes, 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 it says fine. Well, they're going to get cranky, and they're going to get crankier at the apps that do it than the apps that don't. So it puts pressure. It definitely or, puts pressure. Annoying people or, puts pressure on the apps that do it because not all apps are going to do that. I suppose. I, I'm worried that it'll be uh, annoyed at their iPhone. Why is my iPhone asking me all these questions? Why is Apple doing this to me? I hope I'm wrong. Well, I guess we'll see how it pans out. People are. I can't, I can't know how the universe will respond. Maybe idiotically. We shall see. Yeah. Un- uninformed see. in this case might make you come to a, a different... Uh, conclusion, right? If you don't know why it's asking you for these things. One would assume, though, that you'd notice that it's only some apps, and then you'd be like, wait a second, why are these apps being so yeah. much more consistent? Yeah, to be honest, it hasn't been that many of them. Well, that's good. Yeah. That is good. There go, another silver lightning I didn't even know we had. <laughs> okay, so Security Medium 3 is a follow-up to a chit-chat across the pond light we did recently. Hmm. So we talked about DOH, which is DNS over HTTPS, and we went into detail about what problems it solves and how it works, and you know, a good big detailed discussion about it. Um, and we sort of ended that show by saying that right now, as we recorded, DOH was ready for the vanguard of geekitude, i.e. us, to start experimenting with it, but not quite ready for prime time. But I was saying it would be ready for prime time soon. Well, it turns out soon is way sooner than I thought. So is it now? Not, not quite. Ned, the twenty second of October. Wow, that's pretty soon. Yeah, or actually, slightly I earlier. Soon was for, like next year. Slightly earlier for Americans who use Firefox. So wow, Firefox has had DOH support for a while now, which you can turn on by going into the browser settings, and by default. Firefox uses Cloudflare's 1.1.1.1 DNS resolvers when you turn on DOH, but you can put in different ones if you want. Starting in late September, Firefox will start automatically enabling DOH for desktop Firefox users in the US. Wow. Yeah, so the rollout is going to be slow, and Mozilla are going to watch it to make sure that there's no capacity problems, that there's no unexpected issues. And they're going to basically roll it out in a controlled manner. And if things go well, they're going to push DOH by default to everyone. So that's, it's coming, basically. That's amazing. Yeah. 
So for, for people who didn't get a chance to listen, would it be correct to say this is a security thing that will make you more secure as HTTPS did to HT, HTTP? Yes. This gives, it gives you uh, uh, DNS. No, this isn't the DNS one. No, it is the DNS. So DNS over moment, HTTPS, yeah. Right now, even when you browse to a secure website, before you can browse to the secure website, your computer has to figure out the IP address for that website, and it does that with DNS. And DNS, as it stands, is 100% plain text. So your ISP can't see what you do at your bank, but it can absolutely see that you went to your bank. And it can't see what you did on Apple.com, but it can absolutely tell you've been to Apple.com. With DOH, that ceases because the DNS queries are sent through an encrypted tunnel out to Cloudflare, and then Cloudflare look it up for you and send the answer back through the encrypted tunnel. So all your ISP sees is that you are browsing using encrypted DNS. Cool. Yeah, is yes. this the one somebody sent? A, somebody in Slack, I think, posted an article saying that this was criminal, that Firefox was routing their traffic there. through? We're getting there. Pause, oh, okay. pause that thought. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Pause that thought for about five minutes, and then I'll tell you why it's wrong. <laughs> okay, good. Um, so because of how iOS works, this the, this is why it's only on desktop. Um, because on iOS, everyone Firefox and iOS is using WebKit because that's the only web engine that's allowed on iOS for security and performance reasons. So until Apple implement DOH, Firefox on iOS isn't going to get DOH. Now. Apple haven't said they will or they won't, but given Apple's stance on privacy, I imagine it is a matter of when, not if, DOH is coming to Safari. But for now, it isn't there. So Google are also in this game. They're a little bit behind Firefox, but not a whole lot. Um, Starting with Chrome 78, which is due on October 22nd, Chrome on Windows, Mac, and Android will start to automatically upgrade users to DOH if their currently configured DNS provider also supports DOH. So Google have a different approach to this. So Google are basically figuring out what DNS provider you're using, looking up to see if that DNS provider supports DOH. And if they do, then they're transparently switching your browser sessions over to DOH. So if you have your DNS set to 1.1.1.1, you would automatically get DNS over HTTPS from Chrome? Yes. And likewise, if you had it configured to 8.8.8.8. How do they know what I've got it set to? Uh, It's because DNS isn't secure, right? It's all out in plain text. Well, there is that. There is that. Um, They may also have a special record they can look up to to, to figure out where, where you're at. Um, th- th- hmm. There are techniques. Um, I don't want to say how they're doing it because I would purely be guessing, but there are definitely ways you can do that. Yeah. Um, so there has been some criticism of browsers moving to DOH by default. Um, I would say a lot of it is in, ill-informed and utterly OTT. That would be my opinion. OTT? Over the top. Okay. Lost, missing all perspective, not tethered to planet Earth. So because Mozilla will be defaulting users to Cloudflare's DNS, they are definitely getting hit with the strongest criticism here. Now, I think you can reasonably gripe at defaulting people to a specific provider instead of proactively telling them 
we are going to turn on the security feature and we recommend this provider. Are you okay? Like, I, I see that as a legitimate gripe. I don't see it as the end of civilization and I don't see it as the end <laughs> of the world, but it is a legitimate gripe. And I certainly don't think people are wrong to say, hey, Firefox, why don't you do it this way? What is wrong is people saying that DOH will break people's network or will break the internet. Oh, right. That's what they said, right? Yeah. That is them not having read the fine print. So it is, it is true that it is a very common situation, particularly in corporate environments, for the DNS resolvers that the computers on the corporate network are configured to use to have something called a split horizon. That's DNS mm. jargon. My home router even has a split horizon. Um, so what it means is that you have a bunch of private DNS records that don't exist on the public internet, which are being served by your resolver, and your resolver is also looking stuff up on the public internet. That's why it's called a split horizon. It has public view of the world, and it has this additional extra private information. So if your browser suddenly starts bypassing your operating system and going straight through this encrypted tunnel out to some provider on the internet, well, all of those private records would be invisible to you because you're not asking the local resolver anymore. You're tunneling clean past it out to the internet. So you would imagine this will break private IP or private DNS names. And that would be true if Firefox and Google naively implemented DOH. But they're not naively implementing DOH. They're being clever about it, and they say so explicitly in their blog post. So what Firefox is doing is multifold. So the first thing it's doing is it's detecting a whole bunch of common scenarios where people rely on a split horizon heavily and simply not enabling DOH by default at all. So if they hmm. detect parental control software that works by filtering DNS queries, they will not enable DOH. Oh. If they detect that you're on a managed corporate network where the, the network management, so the, the, the software it's not their job. <laughs> hasn't proactively said use DOH, they will not enable DOH if they detect that kind of a scenario. And finally, regardless of whether or not they detect any scenario at all, even when they turn on DOH, if they fail to get an answer through the encrypted tunnel, they will then ask the operating system if it knows an answer. So in other words, you will still get all of your private IP addresses. Horizon oh. will be absolutely fine. Okay. But everything you do publicly will be encrypted. So they're not idiots. They're not idiots. They're not going to break the internet. Like, who knows more about the internet than, than Mozilla? Very few people. Right, right. So all this hyperventilating and all this losing your ever-loving mind. Yes, you have a small point that they really should ask, is it okay to use Cloudflare? I don't I will think agree so. with you that far. And then I, I won't. Still agree with you. I won't because of uh, if we look at the no castaways audience, I would say that we are above average to a great extent in our love of technology and nerdiness level. Would mm -hmm. you agree with that? And I oh, would yeah. suggest that the the percentage of uh, that it's a smaller percentage of our audience that listen to chit chat across the pond, probably. And sure. the nerdier that percentage probably goes down. We're fine with that, but right there. So let's say it's it's 10% or 20% of the nocella castaways would read or listen to something as nerdy as, as us explaining DNS over HTTPS. That's the only people who would understand that question if Firefox asked you. 
Those are the only people who would. That, that, that is a, so you're going to annoy everybody else and have everybody else calling people going, what is this? Am I, have, have I been hacked? Do I have a virus? What is this? So no, I don't think they should ask us. They shouldn't ask you a question. You have an extremely high probability of not understanding the implications of the answer. Yeah, I wouldn't argue with that. I, I can see the logic of the other point of view. I don't agree with it, but I was being generous. Yeah. <laughs> like if I had to agree with something you said, that would be the piece. Right? And you'll notice the way I phrased it was, I can see you have a point, not I agree with yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. So no need to panic. Yeah. So here's our three security mediums. So let us move into notable security updates. It has been Patch Tuesday. Patchy, patchy, patch, patch, because we have two zero days that got smushed. So that is so basically Microsoft and Adobe have done their monthly shenanigans, so do that. Telegram have fixed a bug in their unsend messages feature, which was making it hold on to pictures, which is possibly the thing you wanted to unsend the most. So <laughs> Yeah. Update. Um, Google have fixed a flaw in their built-in two-factor authentication in their Chromebooks. That seems important. And LastPass fixed a bug that leaked some user data in some situations. So that definitely seems like an important one to patchy, patchy, patch, patch if you're a LastPass user. Yeah, let, let, let's hold on the LastPass one for just a moment because it's a, uh, it's a it's an interesting bug that would there was a way to figure out the last place you had been uh, only. It's not that it leaked your entire data, your entire vault or anything like that. And it's a breadcrumb, it basically. Was, yeah, yeah, that's a good way to describe it. And it was discovered by the Google Zero Day people. They found the Zero Day bug. They disclosed it to LastPass. And LastPass fixed it is how we found out about it. So this, this is the system working as as designed, right? This is the best case scenario because bugs are going to be there. It would be better if there never was a zero day, but there's always going to be one, right? So this is as but, good as it can be. And also, this was not a zero day. It wasn't? I thought it no, was. because it was fixed before we learned about it. Oh, oh, right, 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 right. Well, no, that means it existed before we knew about it, though. No, 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 I mean, no. Zero day means it's known about before it's patched. Oh, okay. So in other words, the day you, you have to start worrying about it, you cannot do anything. Whereas we, the day we start, the day the world and the bad guys found out about this, there already was a patch, so it's not zero day. You can you could protect yourself from the moment it became public. That's why responsible And very likely already had, because the, the, uh, the, the plugins for LastPass are usually on auto-update unless you went out of your way to, fit, to change it. So it's right, all but, good. But exactly, yes. So with responsible disclosure, you do not have zero days. Okay, gotcha. Notable news then. Fire extinguisher icon. They're always good. Right. Sorry, Jill. It is a true fact that there is a <laughs> partial lock screen bypass in iOS 13. Now, the word partial has been left out of an awful lot of reporting here. So a lock screen bypass means you can get into the phone. A partial lock screen bypass means you can get more information than you should. And there is literally an infinity of a difference between a full lock screen bypass and a partial lock screen bypass. We haven't had a full lock screen bypass in a very long time. But we do fairly regularly come into partial lock screen bypasses because it's so difficult as to be probably impossible 
to have our cake and eat it, which is precisely what we want from our lock screen. We want our lock screen to lock our phone and to show us stuff at the same time. Right. Which is impossible for it to do that perfectly. So every now and then we find leaks through this. And as time has gone on, the leaks have become ever more, you know, stand in your head, rub your soles of your feet five times on a Thursday on the full moon sort of things. And this one is definitely no different. It's extremely difficult to make this happen. If you succeed in making this happen, what you get is access to the victim's address book. That is all. Hmm. So you have to go through a lot of hoops to do a lot of shenanigans. And in the end of it, what you will have is an address book, not access to the phone. So, yeah, it needs fixing. And it's definitely with physical access, right? Absolutely. All lock screen bypasses are physical access. Oh, okay. And not just do you need physical access, you have to know the, you need physical access and you have to know the cell phone number of the phone you have physical access to because you have to be able to trigger a call to the phone while you have the physical access. So really, you can only attack your friends and family. (laughs) So if any of you do that to me, then you're not my friend anymore. (laughs) You might still be my family. I can't really do anything about that, but you're not my friend anymore if you do that kind of thing. So basically, the so real no actual danger for this, this is, is close to nil. Yay. Did I, did I stomp on you there for a sec? Sorry. No, no. Oh. Um, Great. Now, the next one has an exclamation point. So Uh-oh. I need you to pay attention, but not panic. You will be tempted to panic. Do not. And as yet unpatched, zero day, genuine, zero day. Cross-site request forgery vulnerability has been found in PHP MyAdmin. Oh. There is no Explain patch. to people why they care about PHP MyAdmin. So PHP MyAdmin is probably, without a shadow of a doubt, the most common web-based administration UI for MySQL and MariaDB, which together are the most popular open source database on planet Earth. If you have so shared power hosting, the power the internet, basically. Basically, if you have shared internet hosting, you almost certainly have MySQL or MariaDB, and you almost certainly through have a control panel, which, if you peep at it, is going to be powered by PHP MyAdmin. It is almost ubiquitous in the web hosting industry. It is everywhere. So having an unpatched vulnerability sounds catastrophic. Yes. Now, the actual error, a CSRF, cross-site request forgery, this is, like, it's a sophomoric error to make, and it's trivially easy to fix, and although it is now a zero day, there was no reason for it to be a zero day, because the project were notified three months ago and decided it wasn't worth their while to fix. Oh, no. And the security uh, researcher said, well, you've had project? three months. I'm which project? The PHP My Admin people. They were like, yeah, yeah, we'll fix that in our next scheduled update. We won't do it as a hot fix. <sighs> which I don't like that attitude. I think that's a poor attitude at best. However, Are I did they... tell you not to panic. So right now you're probably heading towards panic. Yeah. Okay. So I don't think we've had a chance to talk about what a CSRF is. No. So cross-site request forgery. 
So every time you submit a form, you now know there's an HTTP request happening. Yes? Um, yes. And that HTTP yes. request basically contains some data that it sends to the back end, which does something with it. So right. your browser has multiple sessions, you know, has multiple tabs open at the same time, probably. Mm-hmm. And if you don't properly, if you, do, if you don't do things right as a developer, it is possible. Okay, so imagine you have two websites open at the same time in your browser. One of them is the victim website. We'll call it badlywrittenwebapp.com. And the other one is a malicious website. We'll call it evilhacker.com. Okay. Badlywrittenwebsite.com has a login form. Uh, or it has a, let's say it has a button. You're logged in. So the, you're logged into badlywrittenwebsite.com and it has a button for delete all of my content. Or in this case, a button for add new admin user. Okay. That button is going to submit a web form. So what if another tab on, say, evilwebsite.com submitted the same data fields to badlywrittenwebsite.com? Well, you are logged in in your browser session. Therefore, right. they would then create an admin account on badlywrittenwebsite.com. So this is, this is two tabs doing the same thing. So one tab being able to do what the other tab was only supposed to be able to do? Yes, exactly. It's, that's why it's called cross-site. So in other words, one website to another, request forgery. In other words, I am doing something on the victim site that you didn't ask me to. So they're, so they're that sounds nasty. like cross tab. It's it's cross tab. Well, it's it's, cross it's always between two tabs from uh, two sites. It, it's between two sites always, right? Because if it's on the same site, then it's the, then it's not an attack. It's your website. Yeah, to right, your right. Okay, yeah. So a, a cross site, but also it can't be like I've got a something open in Firefox and something open in uh, Safari, and it they jump between those two. This particular exactly. one, exactly. It 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 has to be okay. within the same browser session so that the cookies. Yeah, you have to be logged in within the same browser environment where the attacker is is hiding their website. Okay. The two websites they have should... to be in the same browser session. So is this, why is this not a, a, sounds like a, um, sounds like something in the browser's got a problem. No, but it's, it's not? a badly written website because what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to have a random number, a random token that's issued with every page so that no one else can guess what stuff to send to create an admin account. So wellwrittenwebsite.com will expect, will hand a random token to the form where you fill in account name, password. And when you hit submit to make the admin account on wellwrittenwebsite.com, it has to hand back the random token it was given so no one can forge that request. Okay, okay. So this is how every website on planet Earth that isn't terribly written by an amateur works. Only the guys and phpMyAdmin forgot, presumably because phpMyAdmin is like 20 years old. So it's but easy to it's, fix. You just tokenize it's still it. still actively supported, practice. isn't it? Pardon? It's still actively supported, isn't it? It is, absolutely. And they are going to fix it the next time they do a point release. There's, so they're still not saying they're going to do it right away? Well, they hadn't the last time I saw an update from them. I can't promise 
they haven't seen some sense as half the internet shouted at them since. But the last I've okay. been able to read was no. Hmm. Now, why are you not panicking? No, I am. Okay, well, don't. <laughs> you told me that too. Okay. The solution is until this is patched, you use a private browsing window to use phpMyAdmin. Private browsing okay. window is completely isolated from everything else you're doing. Therefore, no cross-site request forgery. It is the universal fix for all cross-site request forgery attacks. Use a private window. Hmm. Fantastic okay. tip, just in general. Um, yeah. Why you should do things like banking in a private window, because it means that if there is a bug in your bank's website, you're protected from it. So that's why there are some things I will always do in a private window. Hmm. E- to protect the site because it's really valuable, not because I'm trying to be secretive. Okay. I didn't know that. That's good to know. Yeah. It isolates your website so that the cookies only exist within that private tab. And so sessions are isolated. So it's like having a separate browser. Yeah. So anyway, that is the takeaway. That should have been a medium. That was a good, that was a good lesson. Yeah. So until they fix PHP, my admin, use it in a private tab or a private window, and then you're good. Otherwise you're in danger. So the next notable news story, a court in Denmark has suspended the use of cell phone location data in Danish courts. And the reason they've done so is because they have found the data to be unreliable. Therefore, you cannot convict people with it because you could be sending innocent people to jail. Hmm. Obviously, the Danish court doesn't have jurisdiction anywhere outside of Denmark. So this case doesn't directly affect anyone else. But what it does is it highlights a fundamental flaw in the really common practice of using cell phone data in court. The cell phone system was designed as a diagnostic tool for managing cellular networks, not as a forensic tool for convicting people. So the data isn't of high enough quality because that's not what it's for. And we should stop treating it as if it was. You know, that's the basis of the Adnan Saeed case that was the um, the podcast serial was all based on the wrongful conviction is uh, the big thing cell was uh, cell phone data. And apparently there was a cover page to the facts of the records that said you shouldn't use these in a court of law. And they right. didn't include the cover page. Ooh. Yeah. Ouch. So. This is this Danish case basically highlights. If you read the Naked Security article, there's a lovely quote from a cell phone guy basically saying that this system isn't good enough to be used in court because it wasn't designed to solve that problem. It was designed for us to manage our network with, which is a completely different thing. Yeah. Um, this is not good. So speaking of dodgy location data, Spotify have decided that if you have a premium family plan, you must. Share your location data, because otherwise you could be being very cheeky and like sharing it with people who aren't really living in the same house. We need to be able to spy on your location at all times so that you can pay us to use our service. Are you serious? Yeah, I don't know how long this will stand, but last I checked, this was still their plan. Wow. Yeah, so I'm happy with my Apple Music subscription. (laughs) That's really sleazy. Uh, Yeah. So they're saying a family plan is only if you're in the same house? Uh, yeah, Must so they're be. basically saying we want, we need you to tell us your location, otherwise we won't believe you. 
that you right, but it, their their rules must be that you are in the same house. I can't why they say would it, want to have to. Do I'm that. not sure they've been that explicit, but I guess if they see you know one of you's in California, one of you's in New York, I guess that they'll see that as a red flag of some sort. Yeah, Just people don't travel. Oh wait, yes they do. <laughs> it, it's just so sleazy and just just a like. Why would you go after the people who pay you? Like right. Don't make your customers into the enemy. That's not a good idea. Um, sad news, in my opinion. Chrome are removing what is being described as the ineffective EV certificates from the Omnibar. So I am one of the few people on planet Earth who actually look at the bright green bars that come with EV certs and read the name of the corporation that the site belongs to. But almost no one does. And so Google have stopped exposing the EV information in the Omnibar. Firefox did it a while ago. Safari did it a while ago. And now it's it gone makes Chrome. me sad, but this hasn't worked. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, now we can say some good news. Uh, oh. See those last three stories after the good news, Alison? Can you mentally move those down into suggested reading, which is where I was meant to paste them? Uh, starting where? So the story uh, I'm about to say about Mozilla is should be the last in notable news. And the other three gotcha. should just be down in suggested reading because they're not happy. Okay. Uh, so, happy news to end. Um, Mozilla have released a free beta of what they're calling Firefox Private Network. This is a VPN-like tool that will route all of the network requests made by the browser through Cloudflare via an encrypted connection. So it's not a VPN for any other app on your computer. It is only sending the traffic from your browser, which is... That's how Firefox described it, but that's not how half of the internet's non-techie websites described it. That is described as a free VPN from Firefox. Oh. No. It's only protecting Firefox, right? It's an in-app VPN, not a system VPN. The beta is free. It is unfortunately only available to people in the US using a desktop version of Firefox who are logged in using their Firefox Sync account. <laughs> so it's pretty narrow. Pretty narrow. Oh, but but that, first that's because it's a beta, right? Yeah, this is their beta, right? So we don't know if it's going to be a free service when it launches for real. We don't really know any more than the fact that there is now a free beta for the people who fall into this category. But nonetheless, okay. this is a nice service to be offering. And again, they're partnering with Cloudflare for this. So again, it's you know that's a good partnership they have going there. Right. Suggested reading then. Um, ProPublica uh, have highlighted some rather bad news, really. Um, they found, without too much effort, patient records, including medical images, for 737 million people from 52 countries just basically available publicly on the internet because it turns out that the medical industry is about as good at security as the hotel industry has proved to be. Ah, jeez. Patient so, records and medical images for seven, three quarters of a billion people. Yep. Just basically wow. sitting either not secured or badly secured on the public internet. Yikes. Because no one's keeping an eye on them. Well, so they are now. I'm I'm confused. Who <laughs> I mean if it's three quarters of a billion people and it's fifty two countries, that's basically every single medical institution and doctor's office in the world. No, it's no, not only that half bad. of it's, them. It's, it's a only few 50, hundred 
repository websites that they found. Okay. Now, the thing is, it didn't take them long to find these, which is kind of the, the worrying bit. So they basically had a hunch yeah. that if they went looking, they'd find stuff. And hey, presto, oh boy, did they find stuff. Hmm. So this this is not a website or a provider. This is, this industry does not have their stuff together. Wow. So this industry has some lessons to learn. And the step one, highlight. So well done, ProPublica. Uh, if you're a citizen of Ecuador, then your data has just been leaked. Because I believe the population is actually slightly lower than the 20 million records that were leaked, because apparently some people are in the database twice. Oh. Hmm. Um, in terms of no, of suggested reading news, I have one star here I just want to highlight briefly. Um, I I don't think people need to stress over this, but Apple have updated the rules for advertising in their kids' apps and signing with Apple. They haven't actually changed the big picture details of the rule change, which basically don't spy on our kids. What they've done is they've added a few asterisks to make it actually practical here on planet Earth. They're not, they're not evil asterisks. They're asterisks to allow things we really do need to work to work. If you want the details, two links in the show notes. But okay. it's nothing alarming, which is why I stand here and suggested reading but I do just want to highlight it. In terms of opinion and analysis, um, I don't know if... So I've put one star here. This is an interesting story from Naked Security highlighting an initiative that's underway to try to make micropayments actually work and thereby provide an actual alternative to advertising for online content. So this is something that's failed many, many times. And the reason it's failed is because everyone who's tried to set up micropayments has tried to make it a business opportunity. Well, now there's a charitable foundation been set up to try create a non-profit and a standardized micropayments API that is going through the W3C. So if there's no one out to make a profit, if it's actually about providing service, it actually may have a chance of succeeding. Now, there's a lot of ifs and maybes there. So, it, let me let me stop you for a second, Bart. When you're saying not about profit, the only reason you would want micropayments would be to make a profit. So you mean ah. the people who are designing the system not making a profit? Correct. Yes. Yeah. So the people okay. providing okay. the facility are not doing it as a business, which is yeah. what they were before. So imagine a not-for-profit PayPal, only standardized yeah. with a standard API. And one of the partners in this project is Mozilla which is what really oh. has the guys at Naked Security all happy because the obvious thing is, well, it could be integrated straight into Firefox. Hmm. And that would mean that it actually has a chance of succeeding. And if it's standardized by the W3C, there's no reason it can't go into other browsers too. No guarantees, but unlike everything right. else that's been tried, this is actually plausible. It's a path that could work. So yeah. to the audience, the people, the reason you care about micropayments is right now we have two choices. We can have big, fat, glaring, annoying ads that are tracking your location or a paywall that might be unaffordable to you. But if there was yeah. a way to make micropayments to say, OK, I would like to go read this one article on Wall Street Journal and I'm going to pay you 35 cents for that or a dollar for that, as opposed to I'm going to spend $400 a year to always be subscribed to you. So if there was another way that wasn't tracking, wasn't doing, uh, you know, bad uh, 
annoying privacy things in the background and didn't cost you a fortune every time you looked at it or yeah. whether you looked at it or not, you just had to pay for it. So yeah, I'm a fan. Yeah, and also from the point of view of a content creator, if the standard APIs, you can just download a plugin for WordPress and hey, presto, now you're able to charge micropayments. Yeah. And then then suddenly, instead of you trying to figure out how do I monetize this, how do I pay my hosting bill? Oh, I don't have to do this evil Google ad stuff. I can just just do this. It has potential. Right, right. We'll see how it goes, but it has potential. Let's keep an eye on it. Yeah. yeah. Check in in a couple of years. Let us know how it is, Bart. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't expect this is going to happen overnight, right? But I just thought it was interesting, yeah. which is why it's here in suggested reading. Um, Repeller Beanie. Then I have two starred items. Um, there is yet another nasty, evil-sounding flaw in Intel chips. It has a fire extinguisher next to it. It is possible in extremely uncommon circumstances that no home user is ever going to encounter ever <laughs> to use a vulnerability in Intel chips to steal to re- to see into people's SSH sessions. This is theoretically possible, realistically impossible. Don't panic. Okay. Um, and there's been some very interesting research done on the top 25 most dangerous software errors. Basically, even after all of these years, we still keep making the same stupid mistakes. We still keep having buffer overflows. We still keep not validating input. It's astonishing how little we have learned. More details linked in the Naked Security article. No, I just realized I, is, I have no palate cleansers. How did that happen? Well, I'll I'll cleanse your palate with oh, a, uh, a an Excel story that um, goes right along dovetails into what you just said. I I saw a tweet that that bothered me because it didn't have any support behind it, but luckily the comments added the support. It said mm. something like one in five errors in genetics are like software errors in genetics are blamed on Excel. And the problem is that a bunch of genes have names that are four characters, but the first three characters are letters and the last character is a number, like OCT4. Excel (laughs) thinks that's October 4th. SEP8, I think, was one of them. That's September 8th, according to Excel. So all this stuff goes on and all of a sudden you got some bizarre answer coming out. People are blaming Excel. So, yeah, because by default, Excel uses a, a cell type of auto when it tries to intuit what you mean, unless you explicitly tell it, treat this cell as a string. Right. A couple of people suggested perhaps you should be using a, a proper database, not Excel, when you're doing genetics for granted. Well, no, no. I mean, Excel isn't. Excel is perfectly valid to use for mushing with data, but you do actually have to tell it what data type it is. So if you leave it on general, if you leave the cell set to general, Excel will make its best guess. And that's not a good yeah, idea. Yeah, it, it, Bart, sometimes it's, it's really difficult that you have to go to extreme effort to get Excel to stop interpreting things. I've, I've spent a great deal of time uh, trying to force it to pay attention and do what I want it to do, not what it wants it to do. So it's not, it's not trivial just like it, selecting the column and saying, okay, these are text, for example. I, I have right. found that to be problematic, not, not, not trivial. To be a geneticist, that's- think it should be possible. It's what order. databases are for. <laughs> no, databases are for and, storing data, not for doing vast amounts of matrix math. Like Excel is a really useful research tool. I don't think it's fair to... There's me defending Excel to you. What the... What? <laughs> the world is turned upside down. This your, is wrong. There's your palate cleanser for this week. 
Well, this was, uh, so I think we left, it was kind of a roller coaster. It was up, it was down, it was up, it was down. I think we end up okay in the end. It was overall, except for the uh, SMS thing, I think I'll be able to sleep tonight. Yeah, no, and I say I do try to aim them that way. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm a theme park creator. You know, I make it a roller coaster, but we always end okay. <laughs> so far, we haven't flung off. <laughs> exactly. Okay, well, until next time, everyone knows what to do. Stay patched so you stay secure. Well, that's going to wind us up for this week. Do not forget to send in your dumb questions, comments, and suggestions, or your reviews like Pat and Denise did. Become internationally famous by doing reviews for the PodFeed podcast. We love it here. You can do that by emailing me at allison at podfeed.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at PodFeed. Remember, everything good starts with podfeed.com. We're talking about Amazon affiliate links. How do you think you get there? Podfeed.com slash Amazon. Want to become a patron? You can go to podfeet.com slash Patreon. Want to join our Facebook group? Podfeet.com slash Facebook. How about becoming a member of our Slack group? Podfeet.com slash Slack. And if you want to join in the fun of the live show, head on over to podfeet.com slash live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time and join the friendly and enthusiastic Nocilla Castaways like Frank O'Connell did for the first time. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed. Thank you.